Let's turn the mute button off. That'd be a good way to start, wouldn't it? Happy New Year's Eve, everybody, if you're listening to this the day that I'm recording it, or if you're watching on the live stream. Uh, last day of 2022. How was the year for you guys? Um, how was it for the Seahawks? <laughs> One of the most interesting sports seasons that I've lived through in a long time. If you're a Mariner fan also, that was fun. They broke the playoff drought, finally got back to the playoffs in dramatic fashion. Um, you know, clinching it on the walk-off home run by Cal Raleigh, and then uh, coming back in game two against the Blue Jays to eliminate them. It was a fun year for the Mariners. And for the Seahawks, you know, we we had the big Russell Wilson trade. That's obviously one of the big sports stories, probably the biggest sports story of the year in the Seattle market. And so we thought we were entering a, a rebuild that was going to be painful and long and probably wouldn't culminate at least as far as getting a clear picture of what the direction was until the draft next year when certainly we'd be going after one of the top quarterbacks in the draft because we would certainly own one of the top picks and things have turned out much differently. I am Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Just going to do a quick quick preview of the Jets game tomorrow. Uh, 105 at Lumen Field. The Jets uh, traveling to Seattle in week 17. Um, because I, I think for, for a late season matchup between two teams with losing records that are barely hanging on to playoff hopes, there's a lot of storylines in this game. I mean, this time of year, there are a lot of games normally that you can throw away this year. Not so much. You know, we talked about it earlier this week with Brandon that, uh, I think it was 13 teams in the league have seven or eight wins. Nine teams alone are at seven and eight. So there are still a lot of teams, many of them with a losing record, obviously, that have playoff hopes. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but more specifically about how this matchup looks, kind of where these two teams are trending, what chances I think the Seahawks have of of winning tomorrow, how that impacts the playoffs, and and really some of the interesting storylines in this game some obvious and some sort of underlying um first the basics both teams are seven and eight uh both got off to good starts and have struggled lately the seahawks with three straight losses they've lost five out of six the jets have lost four straight they were kind of the darlings one of the real storylines uh early this season um robert sala in his second year as head coach by all appearances seems to really have something there, really really commands the room, uh, has a dynamic presence when he's behind the podium, seems to have a lot of respect um, around the league and in that locker room. Um, and then the Jets put together a great draft this year. They had three first-round picks. Uh, Sauce Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati, Jermaine Johnson, Edge out of Florida State, and Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State, for all the talk of what a great draft the Seahawks have had this year. This this may go down as one of the best drafts in a very long time for this Jets team. And that's just the first round. And then they get Brees Hall running back second round. Injured, but really showed signs uh, before that that he was a franchise running back. So this, you know, the Jets may have had one of the great drafts that we've seen in the last 10, 20 years. And that was important for them because they haven't drafted great Mikai Becton hasn't worked out. Obviously, Zach Wilson looks like he may have played his last game for the New York Jets just a couple of years after being the number two overall pick. Um, 
just when we think we've seen, you know, the most dramatic flame out from a high draft pick quarterback that, that we could ever see, you know, guys like Josh Rosen, um, someone comes along like Zach Wilson <laughs> and even uh, takes less time to show himself as a potential bust. Um, so as these two teams come into this game, I find the narratives interesting. And you can talk about East Coast bias. Uh, there are a number of factors at play here, but as I was kind of throwing some numbers together and looking at some things before this game, before this show, uh, there's a headline on the ESPN website today. And the headline reads, will Mike White and the Jets offense be too much for the Seahawks to handle? <laughs> and that seems to be the storyline. You know, Mike White, um, kind of became the guy uh, in New York after Wilson struggled. And then White got hurt, hurt, injured his ribs, missed the last two games. Zach Wilson uh, came back onto the field, played okay in the first game. It was terrible last week, uh, was benched. And now uh, there are reports that the, the organization is ready to move on from him and he will not play. In fact, I think, I think he's going to be inactive for this game. Not even going to be the backup. But here's the thing about Mike White. And, and I think this plays into the um, the tried and true long-standing tradition of how sometimes being the second guy is the best place to be. And being a backup quarterback in the NFL is one of the best gigs around. Because there's never really any pressure. There's no expectations. If the starter struggles, everybody wants you to be in the game. But if you come in and struggle, well wasn't the starter anyway, right? But here's the thing about Mike White. When he got his first chance this year to play for Zach Wilson, he played well. November 27th versus the Bears, a 31 to 10 Jets win. 22 out of 28, 79% completions, 315 yards, three touchdowns. Looks like it looked like a massive upgrade. And he was. But that week on national television, I saw talking heads, I saw clips from analysts with big names who make a lot of money saying this is the Jets franchise quarterback. The Jets have found their answer at quarterback. Off one game. What has Mike White done since then? 58 out of 101, 57% completions, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. And we have seen this before. Last year, Zach Wilson struggles. Joe Flacco struggles. I think he got banged up. Mike White gets his chance. Has a really great game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, he threw two picks, but he had three touchdowns, 405 yards. And I think it was a nationally televised game. I feel like it might have been a Thursday or a Monday game. National media, this is the guy. How'd he end up last year in his, his four or five games? Five touchdowns, eight interceptions, a 75 passer rating. Small sample size can always be tricky, but it might not apply any more dramatically than it does when evaluating quarterback performances. Uh, people overestimate preseason performances sometimes, and they certainly will overestimate and sometimes underestimate single game performances. So if you're shaking in your snow boots, 
because it's not Zach Wilson this week. It's Mike White, and you're afraid he's going to tear us up. Well, first of all, the Seahawks secondary has been pretty good. Second of all, the pass rush the last couple of weeks has shown signs of coming around. They moved Patrick Mahomes a little bit better than Mike White around the pocket last week. Really forced one of Patrick Mahomes' more pedestrian games of the year. We saw some good things. Uh, but the other part of that headline was, will Mike White and the Jets offense be too much for the Seahawks to handle? Now, they have some cool things going for him in the passing game. Garrett Wilson, the rookie that I mentioned, first-round draft pick, has had an outstanding rookie season. Uh, one of the leading candidates for Offensive Rookie of the Year. 71 catches on 119 targets for 996 yards and four touchdowns. 359 of those yards come after the catch. He is a dynamic receiver. And, and granted, this is with you know this, some quarterback issues there, right? Zach Wilson played in quite a few of those games. Their next best receiver, Elijah Moore, the young draft pick from last year, the one who held out in training camp, wasn't happy with his role. 62 catches, but only for 417 yards. And after that, Third leading receiver, Tyler Conklin, their tight end, 50 catches, 459 yards. So they're really limited in their, in their weapons. And then let's talk about the running game. Over the last three games, the Jets' rushing attack has averaged 64 yards a game. So for all the, the struggles of the Seahawks' rushing attack on defense the last half of the season, they did play well against Isaiah Pacheco and the Kansas City Chiefs, limiting limiting them to less than 100 yards rushing. And the Jets just can't run the ball. You know, Brees Hall got off to the great start. Manny looked good and looked like a franchise running back. And then he tore his ACL uh, early in the season, end of October. So um, hopefully he makes a full recovery and comes back next year because he's a good one. And then they traded for James Robinson. He got hurt. Brees Hall is still the leading rusher for the Jets with, uh, oh, I had it here, uh, 400 and something yards, less than 500 yards. Brees Hall is still the New York Jets' leading rusher. They can't run the ball. So that puts more pressure on Mike White to perform. And, uh, and the Seahawks' rushing defense looked better against the Chiefs. There's an opportunity there for the Seahawks to make the Jets one-dimensional and to put it all on the shoulders of Mike White. Um, and defensively, you know, when the when the Jets got off to that great start, seven and four, and looked like they had a really good shot at the playoffs. Lots of attention on Sauce Gardner, the rookie corner. Quinnen Williams, the outstanding young defensive tackle in the middle of that line. Austin Blythe in that really, really porous interior offensive line. The Seahawks are going to have their hands full with him. Uh, for as vaunted as their defense was, and it's Robert Sala's calling card, uh, they've given up 21 and a half points a game the last four games in that losing streak. Teams have moved the ball against the Jets in the last month. Conversely, <laughs> The Seahawks over their last three have only averaged 15.6. Something's got to give. We saw positive signs from the rushing attack against Kansas City after it had been bottled up for a month. 100 yards for Kenneth Walker. Did not practice this week, but um, looked good last week. And Pete Carroll sounded optimistic that, that Walker was going to be good to go tomorrow. This game has all sorts of meaning. Obvious and 
underlying. The obvious one is playoff implications. Both teams still clinging to playoff hopes. It doesn't look like much, but this game means everything to both these teams. Uh, right now, according to uh, 538.com, playoff odds, the Jets' playoff odds stand at 15%. The Seahawks at 27%. Jets are in a little... <laughs> it's interesting. They're in a better position and they're in a worse position. And I'll tell you why in just one second. The reason it's better, Seahawks win their last two games. Their playoff odds increased to 71%. So even if they win their last two against the Jets and at home against the Rams, they need a lot of help. All those teams that are bunched up with seven, eight wins and even seven, seven and a tie, in the case of the commanders, um, Seahawks need a lot of help. The Jets playoff odds go to zero if they lose tomorrow. The Jets will be eliminated from the playoffs if the Seahawks can beat them tomorrow. And that takes on additional meaning when you look at one of the other interesting storylines of this game is that, and that is shared history, common ground. Lots of players on these two rosters that have history with the other organization. Uh, most notably, uh, from the Seahawks standpoint, well, there's Pete Carroll. Uh, Carroll coached the Jets in 1994. For one season. Um, went six and ten that year. And then the other obvious one is Geno Smith. Second round pick in 2013, the number 39 overall pick, played four seasons with the Jets, was supposed to be their franchise quarterback, had his ups and downs, had an injury, an ACL tear, got in a locker room fight, was perceived around the league and by fans as a bust when the Jets moved on from him. So you talk about a revenge game. And Gino's been very, very, very diplomatic this week and how he's spoken about this, as you would expect. And so has Pete Carroll. But you talk about a revenge game. Now he gets his chance in his rebirth where he's established himself as a Pro Bowl quarterback and a guy that's going to get paid this offseason and may have found himself a situation that's fairly long-term where he has an opportunity to, to be the starter for a, a, a team trending upward has really resurrected his career here in Seattle. One of the coolest stories in the NFL this year. Has a chance to knock his old team out of the playoffs. So that's one. There's some other common ground. Obviously, DJ Reed, former cornerback for the Seahawks, uh, went out on, on the free agent market this season, got himself paid, got an $8 million a year contract. Seahawks thought that was a little rich for their blood. He's been very, very good. Opposite Sauce Gardner for the Jets. One interception, 12 passes defensed for them. Really nice set of young cornerbacks there to build around in New York. And then the offensive tackles for the Jets tomorrow. Our old friend George Fant on one side and Dwayne Brown on the other one. Mekhi Becton went down with an injury. The Jets called on Brown. Now, both those guys have battled injuries. They both practiced in full um, and are expected to play tomorrow. So we'll see our old friends Dwayne Brown and George Fant. Jamal Adams, of course, not going to play out injured with that patella tendon uh, tear, but certainly, you know, the massive trade, a couple of first round picks and players coming over um, as he came to Seattle a couple of years ago. So he won't have a chance to extract any revenge there. But one that, that's getting missed a little bit is that I find really interesting is Jason Myers. 
and and there's no revenge here at all, but just his story, his his journey was interesting. You know, the Seahawks brought him to camp in 2018 after I believe he was with Jacksonville the year before. Um, had shown signs, but had you know missed some kicks. And in 2018, he he got cut in training camp, lost a training camp battle, if you recall, to Sebastian Janikowski. Was claimed off waivers from the Jets that year, played for them the entire 2018 season, made the Pro Bowl. Parlayed that into a second chance in Seattle. Seattle realizing what they missed, right? You know, like after the breakup, oh, they go see, they go see the ex go off and get with someone and be happy and they have a chance to bring him back. Four year, $15.5 million contract. He's now in his, um, the last year of that deal. Uh, Jason Myers uh, making another Pro Bowl, having his best season with the Seahawks this year. Um, and with a lot of the ways that this matchup looks tomorrow, could play a big role. Talked about the injuries. A um, couple of key ones for the Seahawks. Uh, Al Woods was a full participant in practice yesterday and looks good to go after missing a couple of weeks with that uh, Achilles. And uh, Tyler Lockett sounds like he's going to play. Um, was non-committal yesterday, but play, practiced in full. Um, had surgery on that broken hand two weeks ago. Remains to be seen, obviously, how that's going to affect his ability to catch the ball, but just having him on the field. We saw the impact of the absence last week. The Chiefs able to pay more attention to DK Metcalf, obviously. And Will Disley out for the Seahawks now, too, placed on injured reserve. So one of their key tight end components. Um, Seahawks brought back old friend Jacob Hollister um, this week, signed him to the practice squad um, as a third tight end. And so uh, Disley out, but lock it back. Should really help things, open things up on on offense, um, even if, you know, it's difficult for him to catch the ball with whatever he's got going there as far as a cast or a wrap on that hand, um, just having him on the field, the defense is going to have to respect him and pay attention to him. And uh, certainly that's a good thing. Um, So Seahawks, Jets tomorrow, again, huge for the playoffs. Seahawks win, Jets are out. Uh, Seahawks win, they stay alive in the playoff race and their playoff chances increase but they got to win the last two and they need help. And as Brandon and I talked about earlier this week, you know, reach out to me on social media. I'd like to hear a lot of your thoughts on this. Like, what do you guys want? What do you think is better? Would would you rather see the Seahawks win their last two and have a fighting chance at the playoffs, whether they make it in or not? Because it's always good to end on on a good note, right? See some of the younger players play well. Or would you rather them lose those last two games so that their native first round pick is higher? Right now it stands at... 12, I think. But with all those teams bunched up with seven or eight wins, Seahawks win their last two games, whether they make the playoffs or not. And that second pick, as we talked about on the last show, could tumble all the way down into the 20s. What's more important to you? What do you think would benefit the Seahawks most? My thoughts is I always think it's better to win. It's better to play well. And when you think about that draft pick, the one we get from Denver that's the tie, I think the difference between two and three can be significant, or two and four, two and five. When you're talking 12 to 20, that's that range of the first round where typically some of the first round grades run out. And I've talked about it before on the show, and we'll talk about it extensively over the next couple of months. But the way it looks right now, when you look at consensus rankings and what the Seahawks' most pressing needs are, 12 and 20 is significant. 12 is going to give you a chance to get a guy that falls. 
let's say hypothetically you get Jalen Carter with the second pick. So you've filled that massive need in the interior defensive line. And so now you're, you're looking at edge. You need to add another edge presence. And there's a lot of depth after that. And some really dynamic players, probably seven or eight guys between the middle of the first round and the middle of the second round that would fit in perfectly. But the guy you can get at 12 is going to be a little better than the guy you can get at 20. But if you miss out on those guys you really want, you're sitting at 18 or 19, the way this draft looks, that's, there's a clump of players rated around that range where the strength of the second half of the first round is positions that a lot of fans would debate Seahawks don't need to make a priority. Cornerback, wide receiver, offensive tackle. Well, we need a center, we need a guard. Way too high to draft. In most years, but in particular in this year. Um, and so, you know, we've debated the idea of maybe corner. Some people don't think it's a need, but I love the idea of adding another lockdown young corner opposite Tariq Woolen. Um, you know, we'll get into those discussions later, but what, what do you prefer? What do you want to see happen in a perfect world? Let me know. And then I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, we got bowl games on in the background. Alabama's playing Kansas state right now, but there's, um, I just want to kind of highlight, I probably try to do this every show now the rest of the year. And then we'll get heavy, heavy into draft conversation once the offseason starts. Um, I want to give you a little sleeper because there's a lot of quarterback scenarios that could unfold here in Seattle. But I think the most likely one is Geno Smith comes back either on a franchise tag or on a legit contract extension. And in that case, then the debate will be, okay, do you take this gift the Broncos have handed us, take one of the higher rated quarterbacks at the top of the draft, develop him for a couple of years behind Gino and see what you have. Or I guess you could still bring back Drew Locke and there's reports that they, they're interested in doing that, in which case they would just punt on quarterback entirely. Although you can usually take a guy late in the draft, keep him on the practice squad. And this guy might fit into that category. However they do it, I would like to see them take a shot, use a draft pick if you have to, to get a guy with some upside to get a guy that can maybe do what you see Brock Purdy doing in San Francisco, that fits the offense, that fits into the locker room great, that has some upside and some ability that maybe you can develop without having to spend a bunch of high draft capital to take that gamble, that historically challenging gamble of taking a quarterback high in the draft. Watch the Fiesta Bowl today. TCU, Michigan, one o'clock Pacific time. Max Dugan is Really interesting. If you watched uh, their conference championship game, man, what a gutsy effort. They came up short, but this guy was laying it all on the line. He's a dual threat quarterback. He's a prolific passer this year alone, 3,321 yards on 65% completions. Takes care of the football, 30 touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, but he also loves to run the football. Uh, in his career, 9,400 yards passing, 71 touchdowns, 24 interceptions. So he's gotten better at taking care of the football. 10 of those interceptions were his first season. But he's also run for 25 touchdowns on 1,800 yards on the ground. Um, I think, I'm going to double check this here. I think he's 6'2". He's, he's well built. Uh, yeah, 6'2", 210. He's a leader. He's just a baller. Hard-nosed, passionate, has a good enough arm, has some accuracy issues. Most quarterbacks coming out of college do. Uh, 
has a lot of experience throwing vertically down the field. Um, but he's athletic. He can move around in the pocket. He's experienced. He's played a lot of football games. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Guys that have experience in college, regardless of upside, have a better chance to succeed in the NFL. They don't get as many development reps earlier in their career. So the more reps they get in college, the more things they see. You look at a guy like Zach Wilson, really only one year as a full-time starter. Struggle, looks overmatched. Then you look at a guy like Brock Purdy, who is really limited physically, does not have a great arm. Mechanics aren't very good. Isn't big and strong and all that athletic. But he played a lot of football at Ohio State. Four-year starter. He's seen, he played at a high level, seen a lot of situations and scenarios. He was better prepared to, to step in in the NFL. So watch Max Dugan today. He is a fun, fun player. This should be a fun game tomorrow. Seahawks-Jets, a matchup of two seven and 8 teams trying to cling to playoff hopes. And uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. A lot of things when we uh, get together after the game and I give you my rapid reaction. Could see a lot of swings in draft position and playoff hopes. So have a uh, have a fun but safe New Year's Eve tonight. We'll talk to you in the new year tomorrow. I am Dan Viennes. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll talk to you after the game tomorrow.